You're listening to Weather Hype, a podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. Previously on Weather Hype, on this week's episode, we have Katie Wiedemeyer Strombel, and she is a PhD candidate at the University of Texas at El Paso. So welcome, Katie. So the question that I have for you, Katie, is um, how did you first become interested in the topic of kind of graduate student life or self-care or making sure that we're focusing both on our mental and physical health? You know, I just became interested in grad student life and self-care because I really struggled with it. And just starting by talking with my cohort, um, you know, and finding that other people had these same struggles, but everyone was so scared to talk about it because did it mean I wasn't supposed to be here, right? Imposter syndrome really is there going, you know, well, if this is what it is, you, you know, you just have to be able to deal with this. This is how it works. And I didn't know anything different. Um, and so, you know, I really struggled with it. And I found that when I talked to other people about it, I felt better knowing that I wasn't alone and I could see that they felt better. I struggle with this thing that we call work-life balance. With that in mind, do you have any tips or tricks or things that you could offer our listeners, uh, things that have been helpful for you or? Yeah, absolutely. So things that have really worked for me, um, going to therapy has been really, really helpful for me. Um, that gives me a designated space to talk about and really think about and mull over certain things that I'm dealing with, whether that be school or personal related. So that has been super helpful for me. Also disconnecting. I mean, I try to go at least one day a week where I don't check email, I don't go on Twitter, I don't go on Facebook, I basically just keep my computer and my phone off. And making something that you enjoy doing for you, not academic you, but just you as a person, a priority at least once a week. Stick around because part two of the interview with Katie Wiedemeyer-Strombel is coming up next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I get gone, I get gone, and I don't need anyone to know better. Put your faith to the time. Um, so I want to shift gears a bit, and we've been talking about connections and relationships, but I want to focus more on those relationships that we have in graduate school, so both professional and personal and their impact. Um, so earlier you kind of mentioned and hinted at your struggles of feeling kind of stuck in um, the lab that you're in and some of the struggles that you went through and dealing with that. So I wanted to kind of break down this idea of graduate students visiting um, advisors and trying to select an advisor and how they can gauge that, but also kind of thinking about like how you deal with being in kind of the stuck situation if you're in an advisor role or if you, if you have an advisor that you don't really jive with. Um, so I guess the first question to kind of focus this conversation is thinking about first visiting students. So if you're a graduate student that's visiting a PhD program, or if you're an undergrad that's visiting a master's program, really thinking about how can you maximize your time when you're visiting, or if you're not visiting, maybe Skyping or emailing, 
um, to really get to know an advisor better and maybe some of the flat red flags or things that you should be looking out for? Yeah, um, I think it's really important to be really selective when you're looking for a graduate advisor and a program and to really think about not only are you applying to work with them, but they are applying to work with you. <sighs> Boom. <exactly. laughs> and to recognize that it's it's really important to know that you have options. I applied to one grad program to work with one professor because that was my dream and I thought that that's how it went. And now I'm on all these listservs and on Twitter where you get like, there are a million PhD opportunities in all these places. And, you know, I <laughs> yeah. was kind of not, part of that <laughs> when I was first looking. But to me, the biggest thing is you want to make sure that what your view of graduate school is matches up with who you're working with. That means ask questions like, am I allowed to take some time off at the holidays to spend time with my family? Mm -hmm. um, can I make my family a priority? Or if you're, you know, if you have a partner, can I make my partner a priority? Um, what is the hourly work requirement for the week? Am I required to be here during certain hours? And just to kind of get a feel for what their work environment is, what the environment in which you will be in will be like. Um, there's a lot of resources, a lot of great resources um, as well, like on Twitter. And if you just Google like questions to ask a prospective uh, advisor, mm -hmm. there's some really great resources where people have compiled, compiled things like that. Um, a big thing that I encourage all students to do is to talk to previous and current students in the lab you want to join. And yes. even if you have to initially reach out to them an email, ask for a telephone conversation, or if you're local, ask them to meet for coffee. One, most grad mm -hmm. students will happily take a free coffee. <laughs> and when it's in person or on the phone, they're much more likely to be candid and honest and say, do not yep. work with this person. Whereas if you write that in an email, that can get back to whomever you're recommending uh, against. So you can be a lot more open when you talk to someone in person or um, even on the phone. And I think that that is, it's hugely important to get the honest opinion of the students. And I generally suggest that prospective students take the, the current students' answers pretty much at face value. Yeah. Um, and a, a question that I encourage students to ask is specifically, if you could do it again, would you work with this person again? Oh, I like it. Um, because if there's a history of a toxic lab environment, it will show in the students that are there or that have been there previously. It'll be something that people in the department generally will recognize and be aware of. It's just making sure to ask the questions that lead to that. Or if you say, hey, I'm really excited to be applying to work with this person and someone else success a cup and several other people right in the field are just kind of quiet or say, oh, good luck. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> you know, you see that as yeah. red flags because I remember when I first went to my first, when I first went to grad school, I was so excited. I was telling everybody and I got that response from several people and I just was kind of confused by it, but I didn't really think mm -hmm. about it because like, I didn't have anyone to ask to see if that was a normal reaction. And so, you know, just taking for face value, those red flags and, Knowing that if where you thought you were going to go doesn't seem like the right environment for you, there is another place where you will that will be the right environment for you. There is not just one option for you and that's it. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Some other things that I would add that were really important to me is asking about their advising style and like their management style, because I'm one of those people that I'm like a self-starter. So I don't want someone constantly nagging me, asking me if I've finished XYZ document. Um, I wanted to work on my own and come to my advisor with questions or concerns or feed for feedback and that kind of stuff. Um, but you have to make sure that your advising style matches like what you want. Because if I had someone that nagged me every five minutes, I would be bonkers and right, be yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, but if, but some people need that, they need that constant like nudge. Um, so I think asking your advisor how they advise students or how they've managed students in the past is really important. The other thing that was really important to me was, do I get to do my own research or am I doing like a branch of your yeah. research? Um, because for me, it's super important for me to be creative and to explore what I'm interested in mm-hmm. um, and not only focus on them being like, oh, here's something I was going to do, but I guess you can do it instead. Yeah. Um, that's just not that's not how I work. So I think asking that is really important, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also another thing to ask is about funding. What is my what yes. is my funding like? Do you have funding for me or do I have to come up with it all on my own? Um, and how does that like is my tuition paid for? Do I have to pay for mm-hmm. fees? What is that going to cost me? Really knowing the financial situation um, as you go in can be really, really important. And then the other thing that that's not really advisor specific, but is where you choose to go to grad school should be a place where you would like to live. I have not necessarily, I have not chosen to live where I've lived for grad school. Grad school has chosen that for me and it has been really hard. I am an ocean person and I live in the middle of the desert and that is hard for me. (laughs) I get a lot of, I get a lot of comfort from water, um, even just looking at it and I don't have that here. And that's been really hard um, and it's, you know, put a strain on my husband and I at times because that was something we would go do together is we would go mm-hmm. to the beach or we would go, you know, I mean, we can do a little bit of hiking here, which is nice where we're at now. We're the only major city in Texas with mountains. Um, so we oh. do have some hiking here, nice. but so much of what my quality of life outside of work was in California, I have not been able to find in Texas. And that was not something I even thought about when I was considering grad school. But I think Mm -hmm. is something the quality of life outside of your program should be something to consider. Because again, trying to maintain that whole person outside of a researcher is really important. So having things that you can do outside of your program that fulfill other parts of your life, I think is, is really, really an important piece to consider that is often overlooked. For me, it was about the weather. So I had to have a place that had constantly changing weather. Um, so I totally understand. <laughs> um, so the other thing that I wanted to talk about is something that you kind of mentioned earlier in the podcast, which was about you feeling stuck in your lab or with an advisor. Um, and so I wanted to get your kind of breakdown of that situation and kind of how you dealt with that situation. Yeah, um, it was terrifying thinking that this supposedly uh, perfect fit for a lab, my dream lab, doing my dream research was all falling apart. That it was kind of like overnight, my former advisor and I were not only reading, you know, not only on different pages, but reading out of entirely different books as far as what graduate yeah. school was supposed to be. And my 
Uh, my fiance had, you know, my husband, who was my fiance at the time, had just moved across the country for me and left his career to be there at this time when this was all falling apart. And it was really scary. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I didn't know if I had options. And what I did is uh, I drank a lot of alcohol, which I don't recommend as a coping mechanism. Um, but I did that a lot because it was easier than trying to figure out what I was going to do. And yeah. I was fortunate that I had built up. So this was about midway through my second year of my PhD and through TAing, through just being involved. Um, I'm generally a social person. I like networking. I, I go to teachers office hours. I get involved with things. That's just always been my personality. And as a result of that, I had several other faculty members who I trusted and who knew me well as a student, as a researcher and as a TA. And so I went to them and said, I am really struggling. I am really unhappy. This is how I'm being spoken to. This is what's expected of me. Is this normal? And honestly, some of them were horrified by things I told them and were like, this is not normal. This is not what grad school is supposed to be like. You have options. I even had a couple faculty tell me that, you know, we don't really say this normally, but you need to leave your situation. This is not good for you. Oh, wow. And, yeah. you know, and it was then that I realized that I that that was even a choice. I didn't even know that that was an option. And then, you know, so I was trying to kind of figure out what I was going to do. I didn't really know of anyone at the time that I could work with. I wasn't sure about funding. And then the day before I left my lab, I got my NSF fellowship. And oh, that was wow. a really high high and then a really low low. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, that was really freedom because I knew that I could go to other potential advisors and say, I have my own funding. I have this fancy fellowship. You should take me on as a student. And yep. I wouldn't have known it was an option if I hadn't had those faculty that told me it was an option. And it would have been much harder had they not also all offered to vouch for me so that when I approached a new advisor and said, I want to work with you. I could say, I don't want to get into what happened. My past lab was not a good fit for me, but you can talk to these other faculty members that will vouch that it was a bad situation and that it was a good thing I left. And that was probably the most helpful thing that those other faculty could do for me was to allow me to deflect the drama that came in my baggage that came with me as a PhD student at this point um, to yeah. allow me to deflect that to them and allow them to explain it because then it wasn't me just complaining about my old lab, it was them saying she needed to get out of that situation. And we encouraged it. And that really gave me more confidence when I was approaching new people to work with. And yeah, having having them push for that was helpful. And then eventually, finally, after leaving, I left my lab before I had a new one to go to. I had no prospects of who I was going to work with. I had my fellowship and I had a TA position for the summer. And I drank a lot that summer and then about halfway through realized that that was not a healthy practice. <laughs> and so I started going to therapy um, on campus at the Student Psychological Services Center or whatever it was called there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, that was hugely helpful. It helped me really deal with some of the, the trauma that came from how I was spoken to and and really feeling like I had lost my identity and what I had worked so hard on for those first two years because I lost my whole project. Um, luckily, the NSF funding came with me when I left, which was great. But, you yeah, know, I, I lost 
this whole project that I was excited to do and my field work I had planned and lost my whole identity of who I thought I was as a grad student. And that was pretty much all of who I was at that point. So that was really scary. Um, but therapy was hugely helpful in getting me back on my feet and really helped me facilitate a good start of my new relationship with my new advisor and really have this open communication and just be honest with her about my experiences and what I needed from an advisor. And it really helped me find a lab that was a better fit. So a few bullet points for other people that may feel in this situation. I kind of gathered getting support from other faculty. I guess having your own funding was helpful, but maybe not necessary. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessary. And I had um, a colleague who went through a similar change for similar reasons from a different lab um, at the same time and didn't have her own funding. And she was able to to switch universities and she had to move to, through town, different to different towns to go to different universities, but was able to find a spot even without her own funding. I know that it does get harder if you have things like visa issues, right? You can't just leave mm -hmm. a lab. So right. there are definitely other obstacles that I did not have to face um, in that transition. And so really a huge thing is that faculty support. And if, you know, if someone's a faculty member and they see a student, especially one with visa issues or some of these other obstacles, reach out and see how you can help them. Um, I also have a colleague who their advisor literally pulled them out of another lab because they saw how abusive it was. And oh, they wow. said, yeah. this is not what this has to be like. You should come work with me. And that was huge. It saved her career and probably her mental health. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it was huge. And she had visa restrictions. So she had to have the sponsor of, you know, of the lab that she was in and, and, and everything. And so I've seen it happen but I know that for some people, just making that switch is not as easy as it as it was for me. Recently, you had a, a Twitter thread where you, you you talked about how graduate school should be challenging but not traumatizing, um, and I think that kind of really sums up well of uh, that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And that that thread was I was amazed by how much that resonated with people. That was definitely the one that went the most. I don't think it technically went viral, but that got the most uh, <laughs> like the most popular Retreats one that likes. I'd ever said. And that was me just mad one day because oh, someone great. said to me, "Oh, you know, oh, I, I mentioned to someone that I that I had set a defense date and that I'm in like the last six months and working towards defense." And they said, "Oh, congratulations mm -hmm. on making it through the trials and tribulations of grad school." And I've had other people when I like, you know, call out things I'm unhappy with in academia on Twitter, people say, well, you know, if you just don't want to have a challenging PhD, then you shouldn't go to grad uh, school. I'm like, no, no, there's a distinct difference here between challenging and traumatic. And, and there really is, you know, I, my Facebook memories pop up and it, you know, it'll say, oh, I was in lab again until 3am and then I didn't sleep for a few days. And I remember thinking, like, my first year of grad school, I had anxiety attacks and panic attacks. I didn't know what they were at the time because they were right. new to me. 
and I wouldn't sleep for days on end. And I remember just always being tired and exhausted and trying to drink all the coffee just to get through the day and, and like having these, like being terrified to go into meetings or getting an email from my advisor, like just always being afraid that I was going to get yelled at or always being afraid that I was in trouble or that I wasn't doing enough, but how can I do more? There's literally no more time in the day for me to do more. And, you know, I am fortunate that I have seen the other side with the advisor I have now and the environment I'm in now that is very pro having this actual work-life balance. And my advisor models that she took off this whole summer so she could go be with her grandkids and said, I'll email you when I can. And if you need something, call me. And, you know, that's her priority is to be with her family. And I think that that's fantastic. She's a great scientist and does wonderful work. But she also has her life. And, you know, it's just, I'm up for a challenge. I don't tend to back away from challenges, but I think we really need to change the rhetoric or of grad school that is, well, you know, you have to be miserable all the time in order to earn your PhD. It's like, I'm not getting a little asterisk or any extra letters behind my name because I've been through some traumatic experiences as a graduate student. And we really need to reframe that. Yes, challenging is appropriate. Intellectually challenging? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Rejections? Absolutely. Those are important learning experiences. But things that don't allow you to sleep, things that make you live in fear, things that make you question who you are, and not who you are as a scientist or who you are as a researcher, right? Those challenges are important in growth, but like you're allowed to be a human being and you're allowed to have faults and you're allowed to have interest outside of what you do. We don't all have to be research robots. We should be more than that. And I think by just saying, oh, you know, I'm sorry that you had this traumatic experience. Congratulations. Like, I don't want to be congratulated for that. And I... I don't feel like we should wear it as a badge of honor that we survived something Mm -hmm. awful. And I think that oftentimes when we're in the thick of it, we will exchange stories with one another of, you know, oh, I got talked to like this and I made it through or I, you know, I worked for 20 hours, three days in a row. It's like we shouldn't be rewarding ourselves for that. It should be, yeah, hey, I worked for eight hours yesterday and then I went on a hike and it was wonderful. Or mm-hmm. I got this grant rejection, but I'm really excited because I found another one I can apply for. Or, you know, there's, we're not, it's not everything's going to be super happy and positive all the time, but that doesn't mean sure. that we should emphasize the trauma or downplay it. And again, people have experienced much worse than what I've experienced, but I think it's just important that we we try to reframe graduate school as this amazing, really challenging, aside from all the other stuff, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and that's been wonderfully rewarding at times and really disappointing at times. And that's great. There should be those highs and lows, but it shouldn't be a constant panic and it shouldn't be a constant fear. And it should be something that we're allowed to disconnect from. And so I think, you know, our, our generation is really, it seems to really resonate that we're kind of done just accepting the status quo as it's been for so Mm -hmm. long. And we're calling it out, you know, we're asking for there to be change. And there are some PIs of, or like early career academics and some like my advisor has been doing, been a scientist for many years now, you know, and, and she's really advocating for a better work-life balance and encouraging us to take time off. And really trying to change what the norm has been for so long, but it's 
Yeah, it's just I'm I'm tired of people saying, oh, well, you just if you can't handle being talked to and degraded in any way that someone in a position of power wants to, then you just don't belong here. And I just so disagree with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I think we all deserve respect. And I think that we deserve to like we we expect to be challenged. No one goes to a PhD program thinking, hey, this is going to be easy. Like, no, yeah, no. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> That's generally not what people are thinking when they're entering into a PhD program. So yeah, I just I think that thread was really inspired by just being tired of people saying, Oh, well, you know, don't show up if you don't want to be treated poorly. It's like, no, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna be intellectually challenged, and I'm gonna demand that I be treated respectfully and that I I'm allowed to be a, a human being in addition to a researcher, and I'm not going to apologize for that. And it's resonated with a lot of people, way more people than I intended. Again, I did not write that <laughs> thinking like people are going to love this. I just was angry about it, honestly, at the time. And <laughs> I think those are probably the posts that resonate the most, though, because those are that's how you were actually feeling in that moment, and you didn't hold back. So I think it was really helpful <laughs> in conveying your ideas, but also everyone being like, yes, I feel the same way. Let's get on this train, retweet, retweet, retweet train. <laughs> um, so we're, we're running close to an hour, but I wanted to quickly touch on your, uh, a, an article that you recently wrote, um, which was great on detailing the challenges of marriage and personal relationships in graduate school, um, which we will definitely have um, on our website, as well as all these other blogs and Twitter threads that you have awesome. shown. But it, can you can you maybe give us a quick breakdown of that and maybe what inspired it? Yeah. So um, actually, that, that article I wrote for the Chronicle of Higher Education recently um, on marriage in grad school was came from a Twitter thread that got a lot of traction <laughs> as well. And um, the Chronicle actually reached out and asked me if I could turn my Twitter thread oh, into nice. an article, Great. which was really cool. Um, but yeah, it was just, I had just talked with another friend of mine who ended up getting divorced. Her and her ex-husband were both graduate students and grad school became a challenge that was just, that really got in between their relationship. And a huge part of it was the emotional disconnection because you, at least in the program I was in, we felt really married to our work. And work came mm-hmm. first, and it was really easy to disengage from the other people and other parts of your life. And I was talking with my friend about this, and I've talked to several other friends. I've talked to people at conferences. I've had conversations on Twitter about this. It's so easy to just disengage from your life because you're just so exhausted. And when your research and the program that you're in requires that you give everything, you don't have the emotional capacity to have those serious conversations to really listen to your partner and hear what they need and then actually do that. It can be really hard and you can think you're doing a great job. I was always told you're so good at work-life balance. You're awesome at this. And, you know, turns out a few years later, my husband is like, we need to do things where we're in like emotionally connected. We need to start dating again. And we had to do that. We set out a date night once a week and we told our friends, we can't do anything. We're hanging out. Our phones are going to be off. And we started dating again because we, because of grad school, primarily we had lost that connection. 
Right. Because all of my emotional effort was going into my program and your research, baby. Yeah. And I didn't even (laughs) think about it because it's just what everybody did. Like I, I felt like I was being a good partner. And of course there's, you know, two sides of the partnership and I'm not saying it was all Mm -hmm. me and all grad school, but grad school had a huge part to play in it. A couple weeks after we got married, I went to the field for 10 days. Then I went straight to a short course and then you know, was traveling a lot and away a lot. And my research was the priority. And it is really easy to get caught up in that. And I just got really frustrated with, you know, how many friends and colleagues or even strangers that I'd connected with had such a similar story where they, you know, lost their marriages or had significant challenges without even realizing it, because they were just so lost in their own world. And it's just not something no one ever told me that when I applied to grad school, my husband and I had been together for many years. We weren't engaged yet, but we had been, you know, that's where it was going. And he was mm-hmm. going to follow me out for grad school. And not a single person that I talked to at any level in academia mentioned that married marital relationships have serious strain in grad school. Yes, marriage is hard and there's a high divorce rate in general, but we know that there is this issue in grad school and in academia in general. And I make the analogy in the article that my husband used to be a chef and we both decided that was not a a long-term career for him because we weren't willing to make the sacrifices that 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 career requires for Mm -hmm. what we saw, for what we wanted for our our marriage and, and a family eventually. But nobody talked about any of that about grad school. So we made the decision together that he wouldn't be a chef and he'd pursue something else. Meanwhile, I'm entering into academia full speed ahead (laughs) with all the same risks and work-life imbalances, but just totally oblivious to it. And part of that is no one in my family has done a degree like this before. I, you know, it's not something that I knew a lot of, but nobody nobody talked about it. It was not in our orientation on how to maintain those relationships. It was not something that anybody talked about. And I think it's one of those things that coming back to what I said earlier, that we feel ashamed about, you know, I'm not proud. I'm not proud that I ignored my husband. Um, And, you know, but talking about it and saying, look, this is what I did, but I'm, I'm learning from it. And I think there's a lot of power to that, like speaking words to shame. Like I said, uh, Brene right. Brown mentions in her book. And yeah, just, you know, sharing the story of that. I was really um, amazed by how many people that positively resonated with and was like, yeah, we don't talk about this enough. And of all, you know, all the things we talked about today, I really think need to be included when people are interested in graduate school because we really need to know not only what is the cost financially, but what are the sacrifices? What are the risks, you know? Um, And we need to decide, and it's okay if you look into grad school and you decide I am not willing to take these risks, or if you started grad school and you realize I'm not willing to give all this up, it's okay. Leaving never equals failure. Yeah. The more we share our stories and the more that we share our struggles and the more we put them out there, one, people are aware of it and realize they're not alone. And two, hopefully we can, you know, be loud enough that at some point the system will have to change. It's systematic. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not going to get every 
PI in grad school to magically change their mind and <laughs> the way it's been done for years. But I, I think we need to at least have the conversation. Yeah, I think it's like your dad said, like we, we use every piece of information to make the best decision that we have. And if we have those risks and we have what is up, like what are what is up for grabs of being lost, then we can make better decisions about going to graduate school or taking a job or um, doing all these different things. So I definitely think it's important to have that information out there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, winding down the podcast, I always like to end with some kind of big takeaway points that people can uh take to their friends or implement in their own lives or just continue to think about because we've talked for like an hour and now <laughs> I want to mash it into like three key messages for people to take away. Um, so thinking about that, what would you kind of offer um, our listeners who are pursuing a graduate degree or maybe trying to change jobs or um, just thinking about all this kind of stuff that we've talked about being mentally and physically like caring for yourself in all manners and just thinking about all of this like all encompassing um, this podcast what would you kind of issue as those takeaway points yeah I would say um, see a therapist if you have the resources um, it can be really it can be really scary to take that first step. And I always wish I would have done it sooner, but definitely see a therapist if you have the resources and maintain hobbies outside of whatever your job is that keeps you grounded in the real world outside of whatever it is you do. And so see a therapist, have hobbies outside of what you do and take time away to just be where you can do whatever it is that you need to do to just be you read a book, play a game, go yeah. for a walk, whatever it is that that really feeds who you are. Take the time to do that and allow yourself the space, the mental and the physical space to actually do it and really be in that moment while you're doing it. Those would be my three things, I think. Great. <laughs> no, I love it. I think those are great. Um, do you have any question, other things that you want to talk about or other questions for me or anything that... Um, any final thoughts? Um, I think just know that whatever you're struggling with, you know, who you're being, whoever, um, you're likely not alone in those struggles. And you can probably find someone not far from you who's experienced similar things. And there's a real catharsis and a real power in sharing our stories. And I just encourage people, people who are in a safe space where they're able to do that without you know, huge negative repercussions. I really encourage the people who are able to, to really speak up and share their stories. Cause I, I, I said, I think there's a real power to that and something that can really help all of us kind of move, move this movement <laughs> in the direction we're hoping yeah, for. Exactly. Um, but no, I think that's it. Is there anything that you wanted to add or? No, I think this has been great. It's been just super awesome. The time has flown by. We've just been <laughs> chit chatting. It's been awesome. Um, thank you so much for being here again. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been wonderful having you, your ear and your and to listen to you and talk to you. So it's been fantastic. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk more about this. And um, it's always always nice to know that that's something that people are interested in. And I think that that's great. So thanks for putting this out there. And yeah, for inviting me on. This has been wonderful.
As always, you can find us in a variety of places, including facebook.com slash weatherhype or on our website at weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words, weather and hype, or send us an email at weatherhype at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then you will definitely want to give Katie a follow on Twitter at K-R-W-E-D-E-M-E-Y-E-R and check out her blog, katiewiedemeyer.wordpress.com. There's only one episode left in this season of Weather Hype, so you'll have to wait and check out that last episode coming up in December. That's all I have for now, so until next time, stay hyped.